And uh, we were working through paperwork and home study for our third adoption. And we had not yet been matched with David. That was still a couple months off in the future. But our well was running dry there in Dahlonega. And so we contracted a well drilling company to drill one for us. And back then, it was about $8 a foot to drill a well. And we had the whopping savings account of $2,400. So I knew, and kids, are you multiplying with me? I knew I could go about 300 feet, okay? And uh, so I thought, well, that's probably going to work out because most wells in Dahlonega hit water at about 150 to 200 feet. And you can guess where this story is going, right? So um, the, the well drillers arrived early in the morning. I had to take off for Gainesville for an appointment there that day. So I left for Gainesville, got back around 1 o'clock, and they were still down there with their big rig dr- drilling, so I'm wondering, what's going on? So I walked down to the bottom of the property and asked the guy, you know, so what's going on? He said, well, we're at 550 feet. We haven't hit water yet. 600 as deep as we can go. And I'm calculating 600 times 8 is $4,800. That's a little more than my bank account. And I, I, just, I just felt panic. Walked back up. Carol was on the back deck. Walked back, walked back up, and she said, so what's going on? And I put my arms around her, and my, my heart was just beating. Boom, boom. I said, they're almost at 600 feet, and they haven't hit water yet. And I think what I felt at that point wasn't just how are we going to afford this, but our adoption is dying at the bottom of a dry well. That was one of those panicky crises in my life that I I had no idea what to do. No idea what to do. Well, fast forward a few months, and the Lord is very gracious, provided for the well. We did did get water, um, and we're sitting a few months later at Thanksgiving time in Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam, to pick up David. And so we've flown um, 10,000 miles there. We've spent thousands of dollars And now we're waiting there to have the paperwork finalized and our adoption liaison, uh, and at times we felt like maybe broker would have been a more fitting term, but he is refusing to finalize our paperwork. And again, just anxiety to the max. what, What do you do? We have no clout with this guy. We didn't have any other money to pay him. No clout and just anxiety totally consumed me. Well, I'm sure many of you have your story. All of you have your story of these crises, and some of them are huge. Some of them are smaller. Sometimes it's the bill in the mail that's larger than your bank balance. Sometimes the pink slip at work could be the dreaded diagnosis that comes after the doctor's appointment. All kinds of things that happen. And then there are the relational crises, right? The son or daughter who walks out the house, slams the door behind them, Maybe the sheriff showing up on your front porch. So fathers, what, what does godly leadership look like in these situations, in these kinds of crises? Does it mean, as Tom Landry once said, leadership is a matter of having people look at you and gain confidence, seeing how you react. If you're in control, they're in control. Or John Maxwell says, A leader is one who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. And in these situations that I've been in, I had no idea 
what the way was. There was no way I could go the way or show the way. I had no clue what to do. So crises like these, they, they confront us as dads and all of us to some extent. But today I'm going to focus my thoughts particularly for us as dads. And we're thinking, I'm the leader here. I'm supposed to know what to say, what to do. And I have absolutely no idea, no idea what to do. And for me, just in the last couple of weeks, there have been five or six of these situations like, I don't know, I don't know. So as today is Father's Day, we're going to take a look once more at our Old Testament friend, King Jehoshaphat, or Jehoshaphat, as some of my young friends corrected me, in Second Chronicles chapter 20. And I want us to think about just one, one aspect of godly leadership, just one, one aspect, and that is, how do godly leaders respond in crises? How do godly leaders respond in crises? So Second Chronicles 20, and our main point is really a very simple one. Godly leaders often do not know what to do in a crisis, but they always know where to turn. Godly leaders often do not know what to do in a crisis, but they always know where to turn. So if you'll turn with me to Second Chronicles chapter 20, either in your Bible or on your phone. And I'm, I'm going to sort of read through and just go point by point as we're reading uh, through this passage. And so in Second Chronicles 20, point one is crises that elicit fear. Crises that elicit fear in verses 1 to 3. And so the writer says, After this, the Moabites and Ammonites and with them some of the Meunites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid. Guys, fear, fear is okay. Fear is often just the inevitable, natural response, right, when we're in the middle of one of these crises. And Jehoshaphat was afraid, and you and I would be afraid too if the Russian army was in ball ground they had just taken over Chris and Christie's property up there, and they're heading south to Woodstock. We are going to feel fear. So crises that elicit fear, this happens for all of us. Point two, where does a godly leader turn? Where does a godly leader turn? So let's read verses 3 to 13. So Jehoshaphat was afraid, and he set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court, and he said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that no one is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, 
and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming out to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. And here's the heart of his request. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. O our God, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. What Jehoshaphat exemplifies here is that godly leadership doesn't mean that we always have a solution, an answer, a remedy. Sometimes we do, thankfully. Sometimes we know what to do. But godly leadership means that even when we don't know what to do, dads, we know where to turn. And we know where to direct the thoughts of those we're caring for. Dads, let's make verse 12 our comeback in the middle of crisis. When fear sounds the alarm, let's let verse 12 be our emergency protocol, our fire drill. Oh God, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And it's not merely a a mindless reflex like, diving under a car or climbing under a desk when the alarms go off. It's a mindful response. It's readiness for action. I say mindful because Jehoshaphat's prayer, that request in verse 12, is fueled by and backed up by massive truths in verses 6 through 11. Did you notice some of them? Verses 6 through 11, all the theology that buttresses his desperate request. He's not just praying, God, we need help. And that prayer is fine. That prayer is appropriate at times. But notice there in verses 6 through 11, all the remembering and the reciting in his prayer. He remembers and articulates God's character and power, God's presence and promises, God's saving works, God's justice and righteousness. So in verse 6, he's saying, God, you're not merely a localized God of one of the Canaanite tribes. You're God in heaven over everything. You rule not just over our little nation of Judah. You rule over all the kingdoms, all the nations. In your hand are all power and might so that no one, no one is able to stand against you, including this horde of Moabites and Ammonites. That is our God. That's the God that Jehoshaphat knew he was praying to. And in verses 7 to 9 then he said, Lord, you have chosen us as your covenant people. You've given this land to us forever. You've led us to build a temple in you in which you have chosen to place your presence. And you promise that when we cry out from here and humble ourselves and cry out, you will hear us and you will respond. Jehoshaphat knew the word, didn't he? And he knew Yahweh. He knew God through the word. And that's why he was able to express his request and his need the way he did. Lord, we are powerless here. We have no idea how to stop this horde, this massive disaster looming before us. But our eyes are on you and we are focused on you. Brothers, fellow dads, you know, in our lives here in 2023, The Lord is not merely Lord of common colds. He's also the Lord of cancer cells, right? His resources are not merely enough to meet our $100 needs. They are sufficient, more than sufficient, to meet hundreds of thousands of dollar 
needs, are they not? God works all things after the counsel of his will so that everything in our lives that comes into your life and mine as a dad, as a husband, is working together for our good. And we can recall God's promises just like Jehoshaphat did. Father, you have adopted us to be your children. You have told us that if we, being sinful, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will you give everything we need to us? You are our perfect Heavenly Father. You have promised to meet every need according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And as we express those things to him in prayer, and then we follow up with, now God, in this situation, I have no idea what to do. But my eyes are on you. The bill that just came, the bad news that you may have just received, the conflict that has just erupted is way bigger than we are a lot of times. But it's not, it's barely a molehill to our Heavenly Father. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on Him. So, dads, in your next crisis, your next challenge that you face in your life or your family, and there's no obvious solution, and, and this could be this afternoon, right? There'll probably be something this week. Your wife is anxious. You may be a bit scared, even though we try not to show that as men. Can you pull your wife into your arms or sit down on the couch with her and say, Honey, I have no idea what to do, but let's pray. Godly leaders don't need to know what to do in every crisis, but they always must know where to turn. Point number three, the Lord's reassurance to us. In verses 14 to 19. So in verse 13, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children waiting. And then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael. And then it gives his fathers and his, his ancestors' names in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen. All Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they'll come up by the ascent of Ziz. You'll find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Now, the Lord's reassurance to us, or in this situation, it came directly from prophet with a word from the Lord. I doubt if that will be his typical response for us in our day and age. But his reassurances to us are numerous and timely dads, and they're written in his word. They come to us through his word and by his Holy Spirit. I made reference at the opening to the digging of a well. And that afternoon, I just went, spent some time, just had some quiet time with the Lord. And I didn't hear an audible voice, but as I was reading my Bible and thinking, it was very clear the Lord saying to me, Phil, you trust your measly bank account more than you trust me the God of the universe, and your heavenly Father. 
And it was very convicting because that's true. I, I, am, I am more confident in my, silly, right? My bank account than the God of the universe. So it was convicting, but it was also a wonderful reminder and encouragement to realize, you know what? My heavenly father is the God who made the universe. Your heavenly father, if you are trusting in Jesus, is the one who owns the cattle on the thousand hills, the psalmist said. What an encouragement to shift my focus from my bank account to my heavenly father. So that reassurance came to me that afternoon, just sitting down with the Lord. And dad, when we turn to him in humble dependence and seek him in his word, we will be confident in due time and often very quickly. The Lord will give us reassurance of his care and his providential working in the midst of our need. Then point four is the Lord's deliverance in verses 20 to 30. I'm just going to read verses 20 to 23 here. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness to Koa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets. We could say, believe his word, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. Can you picture this army marching out, singing instruments? Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. Verse 22, and when they began to sing and praise, interesting, when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come out against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. That'd be fun to watch, wouldn't it? So how might the Lord deliver us in the middle of our crises? How might he intervene? Sometimes he does it immediately, right? There are times when we pray and almost immediately the Lord gives an answer, gives a provision. Many of you are probably familiar with George Mueller, the, um, the pastor and uh, orphanage director in the 1800s in London, cared for hundreds of orphans. And one of the stories is that they, were, they had sat down for breakfast and the, the house mother told them, we have, we have no food, no food this morning. He said, well, have all the children sit down. We're going to pray. So they sat down. He thanked God for the food and then waited. He, he was a man just of great faith in God's word. And in a few minutes, there was a knock on the door, and it was the baker who said, Mr. Mueller, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow I just knew the Lord is impressing me. I need to make. So I, I baked three batches of loaf. Do you need any bread this morning? Uh, well, we happen to. Would you bring that in? brings the bread in. A couple minutes later, there's another knock on the door. And the milkman has right outside. He said, Mr. Mueller, my milk cart just broke down outside. And by the time I get the wheels fixed, this milk is going to be spoiled. Do you need milk this morning? Uh, well, we just happen to need milk. Sometimes the Lord answers our prayers in immediate fashion, right? 
But we also know when we read our Bible, and if you only want one chapter to read, read, read Hebrews chapter 11, and we know God does not always deliver us quickly. Sometimes, maybe oftentimes, it's a slow process that he's working over a period of years. Some challenges that we deal with will remain with us until the day we see the Lord face to face, right? When Jesus makes all things new in the new heavens and the new earth. But while we wait for his deliverance, whether it's immediate or whether it's long term, what can be our watchword? What is our rallying cry as we're waiting? And it's not, remember the Alamo. It's not the tomahawk chop. It's not going to be whatever will be, will be, que sera, sera. Our rallying cry can be their rallying cry, right? What they sang and said in verse 21. Isn't that our rallying cry, brothers and sisters? The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. And they said this from an Old Testament perspective. We have so much more to fill out into those verses of what it means for God's steadfast love to endure forever than they did. Yet this was like the refrain of the Old Testament, God's steadfast love endures forever. But we know on top of what they know that God has sent his son. So Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him also graciously give us all things, everything we need for every crisis and difficulty we face, God promises to give us. It's not always immediate deliverance, but it is strength and grace to walk through that, brothers and sisters. And then earlier, right there in Romans chapter 8, and these are such familiar verses, and yet I think maybe they're so familiar we just sort of let them slide right over the top of our head. Romans eight twenty eight to 30. We know that for those who love God, most things work together for good, right? That's encouraging some of the time. No, in the middle of our crises, in fact, Carol and I were reading the devotional last night and she said, did it really say all things? And obviously she knew it did. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. So from foreknowledge, from setting his affection on us all the way to glorification, Not one is lost, right? Everyone he foreknew, he predestined. Everyone he predestined, called, justified, glorified. The steadfast love of the Lord stands forever, brothers and sisters. So guys, what is your typical response when crisis knocks? I think we have two that we often respond in. One is withdrawing and avoiding. Isn't that a typical for one for us as men? Uh, I don't know what to do, so I don't want to talk about it. And we may withdraw just into silence with our wives, or we may withdraw into busyness. I just want to avoid this crisis, okay? I don't know what to do, just avoid it. Another may be put on the self-sufficiency, self-confidence mode. I can fix this. We're going to handle this. I think that's probably two 
common response is? Where do you go? I know, I, I can go to both of those. I'm going to fix it, and, or else it's there. I don't want to talk about it. It just exposes my weakness, my inadequacy. This morning, the Holy Spirit is inviting us, dads, inviting you and me, instructing you and me, and saying, would you do with your wife what Jehoshaphat did with and said to the people of Israel? Sit down with them and pray and say, Lord, we we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Dads, God delights to hear these prayers. God delights to answer these kind of prayers because our God is like no other God. Our God works on behalf of those who wait for him. Isaiah 64, 4. Every other God makes demands of what you've got to do for them, right? You better pay this off or bad things. You better do this, better do this. Isaiah says, our God is unlike any other God. He works for those who wait for him. John Piper writes, God is the kind of God who delights deeply in meeting needs. Prayer is his delight because prayer shows the reaches of our poverty and the riches of his grace. Prayer is that wonderful transaction where the wealth of God's glory is magnified and the wants of our soul are satisfied. Therefore, God delights in the prayers of the upright. So in this story, we've looked at crises that elicit fear. Where does a godly leader turn? The Lord's reassurance to us through his word and then how the Lord delivers, which is often in different ways. And the fifth point, the last point here is that godly leaders fail well. Godly leaders fail well. I saw a blog post last week by that title and wondered, what in the world is that about? Godly leaders fail well? But it was about leaders in the Bible like Jehoshaphat who had some serious failings in their memoirs. Perhaps you recall first, or Second Chronicles 18, Jehoshaphat's alliance with King Ahab from the northern kingdom. What in the world was up with that? Allying yourself with Ahab? It almost cost Jehoshaphat his life. And God's response in Second Chronicles 19.3 was not soft. God said, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, wrath has gone out against you from the Lord. That was a severe correction for Jehoshaphat. So that was a serious failure of leadership on his part. It resulted from his pride, his past success, his misplaced confidence. And dads, we have plenty of failings like that on our stat sheets too, don't we? We we could probably have quite a long evening together listing out those kind of failings. But Jehoshaphat repented. He didn't allow his failure to define him. He didn't throw in the towel on his role as a leader. He humbled himself and he learned from it. And here in chapter 20, he led, he responded in an entirely different way, didn't he? When the crisis came, this time he knew exactly where to turn. It wasn't going to be to Ahab. It wasn't going to be to his own confidence, his own, I can fix this. Dads, every one of us who's been a father for more than two minutes has a list of such failings. But if we'll learn from those failings and humble ourselves, we can change. We can change by God's grace and respond like Jehoshaphat did in chapter 20. Our wives are not expecting us to have a perfect 
track record. They're not expecting us to have the wisdom of Solomon. But they want and need a husband who knows where to turn, where to lead them in crisis. This takes a lot of humility, and I think this may be our biggest battle here, men. We're in a church where prayer is a fairly normal and somewhat reflexive response. I see it almost every Sunday after. It's just so encouraging as we're packing up and leaving and just seeing there's always a number of people praying with one another. Someone just saying, can I pray for you? Can I encourage you? Being God's means of grace and encouragement. So encouraging to see that. But somehow, when it's with my wife, when it's with Carol, along with that thought, I ought to pray, comes another resistance of pride. You guys know what I mean? Am I alone in this? Why is it so difficult? Prayer is an act of humility. Prayer with my wife is a bigger act of humility. Why is it so difficult to articulate those five words? Honey, let's pray about it. But at every step, pride is our biggest enemy, right? And humility is our biggest friend. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And men, where do we need more grace in the middle of crises when we have no idea what to do? And the good news is, dads, your heavenly father is for you. He is for you. Your needs, your crises, your problems, they're no match for his power and his wisdom and loving providence. So godly leaders don't always need, they don't need to know what to do in every situation, but they do need to know where to turn. So by way of application here, again, I've directed my thoughts primarily at us as men, as fathers, but these apply to all of us, right? So just a few thoughts here. So teenagers and young children, you're going to battle pride all your life as well. So when your dad calls you together and says, we need to pray and ask Jesus for help, kids, don't resist that. Don't go, Lean into your dad. Lean into your heavenly father. Learn what godly leadership looks like, young people. Because godly leaders often do not know what to do. But they always know where to turn. And wives, if you're not used to hearing, I think we should pray, come out of our mouths as husbands, uh, please don't faint if you hear that this afternoon or this week. Please don't resist. Maybe just a quiet, that would be a good idea. It would really be helpful. And it would not be inappropriate, inappropriate for you all to nudge us, to prompt us, to help us in these crises by saying, honey, w- would you please pray for us here? We need, we need those nudgings from you as our wives. So dads, here are two things for you to take home today. First is your emergency protocol for your next family crisis. As a godly leader, you, you're not, you may not know what to do, but you always need to know where to turn. And your emergency protocol is, let's pray. Just say, oh God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Take that with you, your emergency protocol. And then second is your rallying cry. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever, dads, forever for you. Every single challenge, every single crisis is part, comes to you through the loving 
and all wise wisdom of your heavenly father. And his steadfast love is there for you in the midst of it. He is waiting for your cries for help, dad. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are our perfect heavenly father. Thank you for the story of Jehoshaphat and his example, even after previous failings of turning to you, saying, oh God, our eyes are on you. We do not know what to do, but we are turning to you. So help us as dads, Lord, in the crises we may face this week, just that that would be our thought by the work of your spirit. Help us to lead our wives, our children, to turn our thoughts to you. In Jesus' name we pray for his glory. Amen. So dads, happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, everyone. Just a couple reminders on the way out. Dads, pick up your steak right over there. And then for all the men regarding sign up for the men's cookout next Tuesday week, um, it's right on the, the, the lyric sheet this morning. Go down to the bottom if you'll just take a minute now and click that and take 60 seconds to sign that up. So have a great afternoon. Happy Father's Day, church.